0: Hi Loves, welcome back to Strip Down, so excited for today's guest, he is an incredible friend birth community, just like resource of mine, incredible award-winning prenatal chiropractor. I have the Dr. Elliot Berlin, who is a childbirth educator, labor doula, and like I said, award-winning prenatal chiropractor. His informed pregnancy project aims to utilize multiple forms of media, including a weekly podcast, documentary films, and a YouTube series to compile and deliver unbiased information about pregnancy and childbirth to empower new and expectant parents to make informed choices regarding their pregnancy and parenting journey. Dr. Berlin, welcome to my show.
1: Thank you so much, Ellie. Thank you for having me on Strip Down.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for being here. And I love it, like, by the way, like in your intro, that it's like unbiased information because that is so true about you. And that's what I love about you and your wife who I've had on. Like you guys are just all about like giving it straight up real and raw. Like this show is, and it's like, it may not be sugar-coated, but you're not going to get anything that's not true. It's like, this is what it is.
1: That's the goal. It's really hard to find information that's not slanted to a strong point of view today about any topic. And so in childbirth, we just try to have all sides covered so that you have information, you can make an informed choice and find support for those choices.
0: Yes. And I just think that's so important. And a little backstory for my listeners I met Dr. Bowen through a friend of mine who um, introduces Stuart Brazo, who was also a guest on my show. She is actually pregnant with her second right now, almost ready to pop. And she's a mama friend and someone in my community. And she introduced me because of his podcast, Informed Pregnancy. And she was like, you guys should chat and, you know, see about maybe being a guest. So I was on Dr. Berlin's show back when, after I had Amelia and Dr. Berlin was actually the first person to tell me about having a VBAC and um, advocating for myself. So I want to get right into things, Dr. Berlin. I want you to tell a little bit about, you know, how you came into this work. And then I want to dive into how I was on your show and how you truly inspired me and taught me from your own information that I could have a VBAC and now have had successful VBAC.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I got into it pretty early. I was seven years old. And, uh, <laughs> I walked into a building and in the lobby, they were doing CPR classes. And I just didn't understand. I was like, what are they doing to that poor woman with no arms and no legs? And then someone explained to me that they're teaching you how you could use your body to kind of serve as their heart and lungs if they have an emergency and keep them alive until they can get more help. And it just blew my mind, that whole idea. So a couple years later, I remember taking my first CPR class, and I was so excited to learn how to do that. And it just cascaded into, like, first aid, responding to emergencies, lifeguarding. And I became – at 17, I did EMT training. At 18, I started working in ambulances, and I said, "I, I want to become the greatest some kind of doctor there ever was. Um, and then at 19, my father suddenly passed away, partially due to a medical mix-up, and it just really reshaped my focus on on primary health care, away from being drugs and surgery, and into more what we can do to work with the body and take care of ourselves. And so I still love and respect traditional medicine, but I wanted to be on the more holistic side. So, But I didn't even know what that meant. I grew up in a medicine cabinet. I was very medical. And so I took some time to explore lots of different modalities, and I fell in love with chiropractic and with massage, but together, like the peanut butter and chocolate of holistic healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so I went to school for both, and towards the end of school, we were already married. I had met my wife in summer camp, so we'd been... You guys went to summer camp?
0: How cute. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's how married. my
0: parents met, too. I love it.
1: It's the best. We've been married for 25 years now. And so at the time we were in grad school together, she was studying psychology and I was doing these modalities. And towards the end of it, we said, Hey, let's, uh, let's have a kid. You know, it's a good time in our finishing grad school. Might as well pop out a kid. And so, uh, we followed the instructions and, uh, sadly no baby came out. So <laughs> we ended up, uh, going for, medical help trying to get pregnant. And it was a three-year journey that was just awful, very expensive, physically grueling, emotionally challenging. And we kind of got to the end of the treatments that they have available and there was still no baby. And they were sort of saying, you know, we don't know why, but we don't think you'll ever have a kid together the traditional way. And so... They were telling us to explore alternative pathways to parenthood, but we were just so broke, like financially broke, emotionally broke, relationship broke, physically broke. And before we could even talk about anything, we just needed to fix ourselves. So we're in Nebraska. They have like a million miles of really beautifully groomed bike trails, and we would go biking. And uh, we started to do modalities like Chinese medicine and some yoga together, meditation, eating better. And uh, after about 10 months, we felt a lot better. We were able to earn some money and not just pile it into more fertility treatments. Um, we almost got to the place where we were ready to start talking about what does adoption look like or other uh, forms of of methods of getting to parenthood. Um, but then we found out we were pregnant. And so
0: wow.
1: we had our first kid. And then every couple of years, another kid popped out. We couldn't turn it off. It was just baby, baby, baby. <laughs>
0: That's so yeah. awesome though. Right. Cause they were like, Oh, I don't know if you'll ever have a baby. And then you just kept having
1: them. Yeah. Just like nature took over. And so, um, when we moved to Los Angeles, we really got into, uh, a mind body approach of healthcare together. Um, and it was general healthcare with an eye on boosting natural fertility. How could we really help somebody maximize the fertility they have? And, um, you know, once once our clients started getting pregnant, we just uh, they wanted to stay with us during pregnancy, and that's how we got into prenatal care. It's interesting because VBAC is one of the things that really made me think at the beginning. A lot of uh, patients come through and do pregnancy, you know, from a very holistic perspective. A lot of um, exercise, yoga making sure to sleep well and take supplements and eat, eat a healthy balanced diet. Um, and you know, planning for this great mostly natural birth and, you know, more often than not, more often than I would expect, you would see them come out with a birth story that wasn't what they planned at all. Um, a lot of them ending in cesareans that they weren't planning on. And, um, oftentimes wondering if they even needed them in retrospect, uh, but what really struck me is people would come back and say, "Do you know a doctor who is VBAC supportive?" Um, and I just I was like, "Why wouldn't a doctor be VBAC supportive?" I didn't understand. You know, I thought, "Wow, it must be some horribly risky thing to do." And um, this mother's asking to the doctor to do something really irresponsible. But then, as soon as you um, do the research on the risks involved in repeat cesarean or vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, you know, it's it doesn't paint a picture of being outside the normal risks that we take in obstetrics. So I didn't understand why it was so hard to find support for VBAC. And that's when I just started to try to get experts, you know, to talk to them and do articles with them, blog articles, and eventually that turned into our podcast and documentary series. Um, And it was all just because I felt like these women are not getting balanced information. They're getting information from someone who's trying to sway them to do one thing or another. And um, they're being left out of the decision-making as well, that it's just like, this is what we're gonna do. And um, you don't really have a say in the matter. And that started to bother me. So that's where everything kind of unfolded from.
0: Yeah, well, and you're right. I love that you said, you know, that you really don't have a say in the matter. Because, you know, before, like, I even, you know, knew about a VBAC. And then you had kind of the first person to tell me about having a VBAC. I was on your podcast. We did a whole interview about my birth with Amelia. Same kind of story. Like you said, I wanted a holistic birth. I had a midwife. I had a doula. I wanted to have a natural birth in the tub, whole thing things didn't go that direction and, you know, ended up going to the hospital and winding up, you know, in a C-section. And I was devastated and also shocked by the outcome. And when I came on, you know, your podcast and shared my story, when we were recording, you said, you're like, well, that doesn't mean you have to have another C-section. And I was like, what? And that was like, literally mind shattering to me. Like, everyone had told me after I had Amelia, I had to have a C-section next. Like that's how my births were going to go. That's how, you know, that's what happens after your first C-section. And I didn't even think to even ask like, Oh, is there another option? Because like you said, you're left out of that decision. And so I had no clue. And then when you said that to me, I was like, what and then obviously you know we stayed in touch and you were like you know it's not necessarily about the baby's weight and the baby's size sometimes it's about your actual body and all these things and honestly I really truly didn't fully believe it because I was like well I am small I am petite everyone's been telling me because I'm so small framed you know that's probably what happened she was eight pounds seven ounces but fast forward after having my back with Arlie she was nine pounds three ounces wow. and, you know and like almost 23 inches long And I laugh and think back to our conversation, and I'm like, holy shit, that is exactly what you said. You were like, you could have a nine-pound baby just because you couldn't get, you know, Amelia out of eight pounds. It didn't have to necessarily do with the weight. It really could have done with your body, and you were the first one to educate me on that.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you saw the movie, but we we did a documentary called Trial of Labor that anyone can stream for free at trialoflabor.com. And it's four women sharing their stories. And one of them, you know, she had a a fair shake from her doctor about her first birth, but she was pushing for a long time and uh, the baby wasn't coming. Things were getting uncomfortable and they gave her the option for a cesarean and she had one. Um, But eventually they told her because she had a 10 pound baby that um, that's the problem is the baby could never have fit through her pelvis. Um, and then when she got pregnant the second time, she started taking care of her body in a different way earlier on, loosening things that were too tight, opening things that were too restrictive. And she switched doctors to a doctor who said, I have no idea if your baby will make it through your pelvis or not, but I don't see why you shouldn't be allowed to try. And uh, that baby came so quickly and was also bigger, 10.6 pounds. Wow. And, and the doctor almost missed it. The baby came flying through her pelvis. So. <laughs> I know, see,
0: and I just think that's amazing because it's it's so true. Some people say, oh, you know, they probably just can't fit through. And then it's like, that's what's in your mind. And that was what was in my mind. I was like, well, I'm small, I'm a petite girl. Like, you know, makes sense. Like I probably, you know, should I have had a smaller baby. But it's like, no, like you said, it's like working on your body from the beginning and getting your body in the, you know, right positioning. And I found out like my, had one hip, you know, higher than the other. And like all these other alignments that like, I didn't know that I had probably them shooting and childhood and all these things that like influence you know, what happens later on with your body. And so, I mean, I want to know from you, like, obviously you've seen so many different women and like, you know, help them achieve VBACs. Like, what do you think are some of the key things that, because I've had so many women ask me like, oh my God, you've inspired me. I want to have a V back Like, what would you say the key things to start to move forward towards potentially, you know, achieving a V back is when you first get pregnant?
1: Okay. My my first one would be aligning yourself with a provider who is on board with VBAC and who really supports VBAC, not just tolerates VBAC. Because um, yeah. sometimes have someone will like, oh, yeah, I do VBAC. But then when you get closer, it's like, yeah, but you have to have the baby before 39 weeks or we're not going to do it if the baby measures over eight pounds, which is hard to assess anyway. there's all these restrictions about it. And um, and so you don't really have a choice with them, even though they say that they kind of do VBAC. You want somebody who's got a reputation for being a solid professional, but who's really comfortable with VBAC and open-minded and supportive. So ask questions at the beginning, what would make me at the end, not a good candidate for VBAC? Do you have rules around VBAC that are different from vaginal birth in general? Um, Things like that, must I have an epidural? Will I be able to walk around? while I'm in labor things like that. Um, the second thing is, you know, I think that there's this pelvic paradox where sometimes you have really tiny petite alley Levine sort of women, um, <laughs> who have a large baby that comes through them, no problem during labor, right? Smooth birth doesn't necessarily mean quick, but smooth that labor starts and progresses. And the baby comes out without any real stalls or hiccups. Um, and then, uh, even if it's a big baby and sometimes you have a woman who's got really nice, uh, big hips, like she's been told her whole pregnancy, perhaps those hips are great for giving birth, you know? And, um, they'll have a smaller baby, six, six and a half pound baby that gets stuck on the way out. So I call it the pelvic paradox. How is it that you sometimes have these small women birth big babies smoothly and larger women birthing smaller babies with, uh, with they can't get them out. And so um, I think a big part of that is tolerance on, on the part of the provider. I think you know, for example, inducing a baby that's not positioned well, not quite ready to come out, that's going to ask for trouble. But a big piece of it has to do with functionality. And um, it's more about function than structure. Function, your low back, hips, and pelvis, the pelvis in particular, is not one solid structure. It's a bunch of bones connected by ligaments and cartilage. And at the end of pregnancy, they're supposed to be really movable. Your body makes hormones like relaxing, and your progesterone goes up really high so that those soft tissues can really open up and allow the pelvis to expand and contract in r- relation to the baby's movements They can facilitate or at least allow the baby's movements to happen, accommodate the baby's movements. If those muscles and tendons are really stiff and tight and those joints between the pelvic bones have limited or no mobility, then when your baby tries to push down and settle into a good position, the body may very well just resist those movements and not allow the baby to get into a great position. When labor happens, the uterus is pushing forcefully down, but there's a lot of resistance at the bottom against that downward movement. And so I think that's why sometimes we see the baby try to descend in a less optimal position, maybe posterior with the skull against the spine or the skull against the sacrum, and it's uh, creating back labor, it's not comfortable really for either one of you, and it makes it harder for the baby to descend smoothly. Those are the kind of things that you can eliminate um, either before pregnancy or even during pregnancy, leading up to birth, with massage, for example, to address those tight muscles and tendons, loosen them up and release their grip, normalize the tension there. And then with the joints, when they're stuck together, chiropractic adjustments to restore motion between those bones around those joints.
0: Yeah, well, and I mean, just describing all of that, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense why they would make it easier for the baby to come. But for a reason, like, the traditional medical system doesn't tell you that or say that they're just like, Oh, baby's too big or, Oh, baby, you know, can't turn or whatever it is. And it's like, I just, I find it so for me personally, like infuriating for other moms. When I hear stories, like doctors are just like, you know, it's like, Oh, that's, that's it. Like, that's the only answer. And it's like, but that's, we've learned now that that's not true and that there is so much more. Like, of course I understand that emergencies happen and things happen, whatever. And I even wonder with Amelia, like, okay, she didn't, you know, essentially get into the birth canal completely. Like she got stuck at six. And then I, when I got to the hospital, I did interventions, put me on tons of Pitocin and an epidural. And then she got to almost a nine and I got to almost complete, but she kept coming into the birth canal and shooting back up. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, was she even ready in the first place? Like, you know, like like what, what could have been done maybe, you know, in hindsight to have, you know, changed that. And when I think about my pregnancy of how she stayed so high, up on me and my body and then I looked at my pictures of me with Arlie and she was so low and so engaged and I could just see her moving further and further down like you and I kept joking she was going to fall out it was just such a different process to see how two different babies in my same body were carried and then when I went into labor like even though it was still a long labor it went so much faster it was like you know I went into labor in the middle of the night like two thirty-three in the morning and my contractions went from like 11 minutes apart to 10 to nine to eight within like not even an hour of being, you know, in my tub at home, you know, laboring. And then I was off, you know, to Cedars and then Dr. Brock checked me at like six in the morning and I was at, you know, basically six and a half and then eight, nine, 10 and, you know, complete. It was like, so it was just such a wildly different experience and not to say it wasn't still intense and, you know, hardcore and everything, but it was just like, wow, what a different experience from Amelia, where I was full blown natural for 30 hours and trying to get her down. And I just remember how hard it was to work her down. And with Arlie, it just felt like it just went so smooth. Of course, at the end, as you know, like it didn't go as smooth in a sense that I had to push for three and a half hours because I didn't really know how to push from going through what I went through with Amelia. So that was. Tricky, you know, um, and then I did end up having um, to have Dr. Brock um, help use a vacuum to help pull her down, so I could push her out because she did get still a little bit, um, you know, uh, stuck. I when she was at the last station, and he said, you know, I am going to do everything in my power to get you to your V back, but this is going to be kind of like the last, you know, uh, tool I'll use before we go to cesarean again. And so he told me, like, I'm going to get the vacuum in there and you have to push with all your might, like every single thing in you. He gave me, you know, like the bar to hold and, you know, push down on. And he was like, and once you do, then I'll, you know, let you push her out. And so thank God it worked, but it was still intense, but it was way more rhythmic, even though it was intense. And it was way more, just felt like it flowed all the way through versus my first birth.
1: Yeah. And you did things uh, differently this pregnancy too, right?
0: Right. Right. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and the massage that you talked about, I went and saw you at like what? What was I like? Forty weeks
1: or yeah, I think like you're just weeks? yeah, a couple of days over forty weeks. Yeah, and we we were trying so hard to make that happen, and we finally <laughs> got were. it to work.
0: We were. I, I I messaged you a million times, being like, you know, oh my god, I can't believe she's still having not come. Like help, and you know, and you were like, all right, why don't you come in for you know labor stimulation massage and see what we can do, loosen things up, and I mean that felt great regardless. I have to say, like I slept so well for like three days after that because I could just feel my whole body felt like Oh, like, even though you're so big, and you're so pregnant, feeling like that relaxed was like, definitely not something I expected to feel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the goal of that, you know, it's obviously some of that's intense around your low back and the front and back of your pelvis. Some of it's intense, because we're trying to open up muscles that are too stiff and tight. But the whole goal is to not just ultimately relax the muscles and the tendons, but to get your whole nervous system to be relaxed also. And just in a more in a more ready space for this, the calm before the storm. So, but you know, you, you aligned yourself with a provider. I know you put a lot of effort into figuring out where you wanted to give birth and with whom you felt comfortable giving birth. And you aligned yourself with a a medical doctor in a hospital who's uh, really almost kind of famous for VBAC. Yeah, Dr. Brock is,
0: yeah, he's yeah, you've worked with him before. I mean,
1: he's... I work with him a lot because he still delivers breech babies, yes, right. and So I, I do so much breech work. Um, but also VBACs, I, I've worked with him. I've been in the labor and delivery room with him also. He's a little, little bit of a character. But, oh, yeah. uh, uh-huh. oh, yeah. <laughs> but but he's just so, like, if he's so into your agenda. Like, if you want to have a VBAC, that becomes his agenda. And he'll do anything within reasonable safety for you and the baby to make that happen
0: yeah and he and i mean and he proved that i mean when you know i was laboring her down it was funny because when i went into labor you know stacy you know stacy my doula you know um you referred her to me She, she, i call you know she called him to let him know that i was coming into the hospital that i was you know in active labor and this and that and he didn't pick up so he called me back on my cell phone we were almost there and i pick up my phone And I'm, you know, screaming, you know, in active, you know, labor. And he's like, are you really in labor? And I'm like, yes, you know, and i had been having for drama labor for like three weeks, you know, like beforehand. So he didn't believe me because even that Friday before when I was sitting on the machine, I was like contracting, but like, you know, they were stopping and he just looked at me, like rolled his eyes. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you know, you keep telling me you're like, think something's happening then it stalls out. And I'm like, well, it is happening, but it's not happening. You know? And so he was messing with me when he called me. He's like, are you really in labor? Like, should I get out of bed? And I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm in labor. And so, you know, he came to the hospital and checked me and he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You're, you know, you're in labor.
1: This. <laughs> yeah,
0: this is happening. And I was like, I looked at him like, you gotta be me, but he is, he's totally that character and everything, but he was so amazing in that, you know, I got through all the, you know, laboring down and, and then having to push and I spiked a fever. Um, like, I think I want to say maybe once I got to, right, almost got to complete, he, he broke my water because my water still hadn't broke when I was around like an eight. And he was like, okay, I feel like, you know, it, your bag's just sitting here now. There's no reason. I know you didn't want to have artificial, you know, like uh, breaking of the water, but he's like, but you know, I think we should break it. So I was like, okay, fine. And he broke it. And then shortly after um, I spiked a fever. Um, and so he said to me, like, listen, how you were saying with trial of labor, he was like, listen, you know, um, I no longer can let you really continue to like full-blown, you know, act because you have a fever and I have to make sure you and the baby are fine. So we're going to speed things up here. So I need you to like, really, you know, give me all you got with your pushes and then we're going to get ready to have this baby. And so like the nurses were amazing. Cause obviously, you know, in a COVID world, I couldn't have Stacy there. She was there virtually on my, you know, FaceTime with me for 13 hours <laughs> powering through, but you know, Justin and I were, doing all kinds of squats and and pushing down. I had the squat bar and I was on the bed on all fours and using the ball. I mean, I was doing everything to continue to push her down and get her down to each station. And that was when, you know, I got to basically the end and she still wasn't fully coming. And then that's when he said to me, he came in, he goes, look, you've done a great job, but we got to get her out. I want to let you know, like, this is what we're going to do. And that's when he was like, to get your V back. We're going to do a vacuum. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what that is, but if you say that's what we should do. And he was like, yes. And you have to push with all your might, because if not, then, you know, we're, we're going for cesarean. And I could see in his eyes, how, like how you said, like his agenda, he was all about getting me my V back. And he, I mean, he helped me work for it. It was like, you know, he like game on, you know, game face, like, all right, let's go. And like looked at me and was like, okay, push. I've never pushed so freaking hard in my life but there she was you know um and it was uh it was so intense and so crazy but he was so he really was like so for it and he was so helpful and me getting her out and even after when we went into postpartum he came in to check on me he I was like thank you thank you thank you and he's like you should be thanking yourself like you did that I helped you Uh, He's like but you did that and that was like so nice to hear from him
1: yeah uh first of all what was it like when you got the when when the baby came out
0: Oh my God. I was, I was hysterical. I mean, happily hysterical, but I was, I was hysterical. Like I, I could not even believe that she was actually there. I mean, I just remember like Justin was, you know, down looking down to see how she was doing, and he looked at me. He's like, "I can see her. Like, you just had to push a little harder. She's there." And I said to him, "Here's my phone. Take a picture." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Take a picture." And he's like, "No, you're gonna freak out." And I'm like, "Take a freaking picture." You know? So he took my phone, took a picture, gave it to me, and as soon as I saw her, I was like, "That's it. I can do this. I can freaking do this." And I put my uh, fear releasing meditation in my ears, my earbud. I closed my eyes. I like said a prayer, squeezed as hard as I could, and just. Pushed. And the next thing I knew, I heard her, everybody was running around and they put her on my chest and I was just hysterical. I was like completely, it was just a surreal feeling. I couldn't believe I had actually pushed her out. She was actually on my chest. I was holding her. She was already watching. Like it was like just, it was mind blowing.
1: Wow. I can, uh, I sort of have tears of joy just hearing you describe (laughs) it. It's so powerful.
0: It was, it was, it was honestly like one of the most powerful things I've ever been through. I mean, I just, I couldn't believe it. Like I, like when I saw her on my chest, I, I kept like replaying it in my mind. Like, Oh my God, did I really just do that? She really just come out of me. And like, she's now here and she's on my chest. It was just and I think especially because at the end when I spiked the fever and, you know, it was getting so close and we had to use the vacuum and all the things. And then he told me when I had to use the vacuum, he was getting me on, you know, a full-blown epidural because it was going to be very painful otherwise, if not. And I didn't want to be on, you know, a full-blown epidural because I hadn't been on it from uh, the birth. I was on a walking epidural, like you were saying, so I could walk around the room and, you know, uh-huh. feel like I was in control and that was really for me, like super helpful. It was like enough to take the edge off and it wasn't too much and I could kind of control it, but it was enough to let me labor her down and feel like I could keep moving and doing what I have to do and do all the exercises and comfort measures. So I was scared when he said, Okay, now we have to get on a pull over for you in order to get her out so I can use the vacuum. And I was like, I don't want to not be able to feel. I don't want to not be able to feel. And he was like, Trust me. Like you like, I will tell you when to push, I will guide you. You just have to follow me. And he did. I mean, he the minute he, you know, got me out of a drill and I couldn't feel anything anymore. And I was like totally freaked, he was like, it's okay, hold the squat bar, push when I tell you to push, you know. And it was like we did a few practices and then it was like game time. And he he helped me make it happen.
1: Yeah. And those, you know, if you go back to your first question, is if someone's thinking about a feedback, um, What are the most important things? You went past your due date by over a week. Um, A lot of practitioners would not have waited that long. They would have gone for the repeat cesarean. You labored for a while. You pushed for a long time. Again, a lot of practitioners, not that comfortable waiting. And uh, even the vacuum, uh, giving that choice to be able to use the vacuum to assist with your pushing a lot of them would not have given you that choice you did the things during uh, pregnancy to loosen up your body to improve the function of your musculoskeletal system and then at the end we did that that labor preparation body work and uh you know you did everything the other thing i didn't mention they're not on my mind as much anymore is the doulas because uh having a supportive doula throughout the process the pregnancy and the birth we kind of had a funny moment with your doula We're all at uh, the stand-up comedy show that I put on, um, which is called "Kidding Comedy" about having kids, and uh, like, I think we all just didn't realize that we were all there. <laughs> right. And then, <laughs> and then towards the end, we finally, yeah, uh, we finally got, all got together. But yeah, uh, was so that fun. was the last comedy show before the pandemic and uh, I know
0: I know we'll we'll be back there at some point it was that was so much fun I know well for the future for those that are listening if you're local you have to go to Dr. Rowland's comedy show it's hilarious um (laughs) and uh, it just makes you feel like so good about parenthood and we really are all in it together but um yeah like Stacy, Dr. Rowland had told me about Stacy and a couple other doulas I had talked to Stacy on the phone it vibed really well I knew I was probably going to pick her as my duo and then it was so funny because like you said she was there and I didn't even know it and you were like I think she's here and I was like oh she's here at the show and you're like yeah and then I met up with her and that that was funny because it was like you know divine timing alignment and then I you know hired her basically on the spot but it was just you
1: you hadn't met her in person and I'm face blind and there's a whole crowd (laughs) of people who are (laughs) just trying to find each other it was kind of hilarious
0: Exactly, it was, but it was totally like meant to be, you know, and she she was amazing. I mean, I told her like, she's here on FaceTime with me. So when I went into labor, I first off, also I've been having drama labor for weeks. So I was telling her every day, I think this is it. I think this is it. And she's like, okay you know, calm down, lay down, you know, take a nap. If it continues and text me, you know, then of course I text her, oh, it stopped. You know, and I was constantly like, you know, just like, oh, why are these, you know, like mini contractions starting and stopping? Which by the way, I had never experienced for drama labor with Amelia. Like I did not know what that was. I was convinced for three weeks I was going into labor because it was so intense. And then like, I would feel everything like so much and so uncomfortable and then it would just stop. And I'd be like, really? You know, I was like, <laughs> it was, it was so, I, I don't know. Like, is that, is that normal? Like that happens more later in the game after you've had one child or that just different for different mm, reasons?
1: I th- no, you know, pro labor is just a pre-labor phase, that sometimes you don't feel at all or don't realize it's happening. Sometimes it can feel just like labor. And um, it's usually not that long. But when you have an extended prodromal labor phase that does feel like labor, it's really exhausting, mentally and physically physically exhausting, because you have all the intensity of labor, but you're not really making any progress. And so, you know, it can wear you out. It wears a lot of people out.
0: Yeah, it did. It wore me out constantly. And I'd be like, this isn't it. Like, this isn't, you know? And it was like... Oh my gosh, when is labor gonna come? And just remember she'd be like, You'll know, you'll know. And then when I did finally go into labor and I was in the tub, you know, I called her and she's like, Okay, you know, just meditate, put the phone next to you, and let me just like hear you and let me count. And she was the one that was like, Okay, your contractions are picking up super fast. Like you're 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 in active labor, like it's happening. And Justin was asleep, you know, my husband, and he she called him on his cell phone and she was like you have to wake up. Allie's, you know, in labor because I was in the tub in our, you know, in our bathroom and I couldn't get out. I was like really trying <laughs> to concentrate and just stay in the tub and stay in my zone and not scream and stay in my hypno thing and everything. And so he came in and he's messing with me. He was like, you know, he's like, Are you sure you're actually in labor this time? This isn't like a joke. And I was like, Justin, <laughs> I'm in labor. <laughs> it was like everybody was questioning if I was actually in labor. And then Stacy came over um just to kind of give me comfort measures and just I, I kind of needed to see her. You know, physically, even though I knew she couldn't go to the hospital, I wanted to see her before I left. So she came over in the middle of the night and helped me kind of finish up packing up my bag and make sure we were all set. And, you know, just kind of told me, like, you can do this and you're going to get your V back and I'm going to be there for you, you know, via virtual the whole time. And, you know, she was just amazing. She was such an encouragement. I have to say, that was another piece of, I think my V back was just. She had experienced VBAC moms. She really, you know, believed in it for me. She told me from day one, we are going to make your VBAC happen, you know, and that mindset of like you telling me in the, you know, in the beginning that I could have a VBAC and then finding my provider, having a doula, doing chiropractic work, doing all the things, like you said, it was just like, I think that just made a massive difference from my birth with Amelia and pregnancy to now Arlie. Like I said to Justin, like, I can't imagine Now, if we decided to have another baby, like not doing things the way I just did with Harley, Like I know every birth and pregnancy is different, but like, holy crap, what a difference. Like, I just can't even believe those little changes, how massively it impacts.
1: Yeah. You know, another interesting thing that I learned from when we were making the film, I interviewed a bunch of women who had VBACs, well, who had cesareans that were unexpected. So unplanned cesarean. Uh, almost always with labor first, and then the cesarean. And some of them had gone on to have a second baby with an elective cesarean. Um, And all of them, even to this day, pretty much everyone who's had that experience, so labor followed by a C-section, and then just a cesarean with no labor, scheduled cesarean, um, all kind of talk about having missed some kind of... um, Transition between being pregnant and not being pregnant. Uh, They almost always use the word surreal, um, harder to adapt. And um, many of them have said that if they could go back and do it again, they would like to have labor even if they knew they were going to have a cesarean birth the second time around, which blew my mind. I thought for sure, if you're attempting a VBAC, so they call it TOLAC trial of labor after cesarean, which is where the name of our movie trial of labor comes from, um, that the number one outcome is you labor and have a vaginal birth. The number two outcome is that maybe you don't labor and just have a repeat C session. And that like the least favorable outcome is to labor and still have a cesarean anyway. But, what I've been told now by many women who've had that scenario is that they would have actually chosen for their second choice, the number one choice labor, have a a vaginal birth, second choice labor somewhat before the cesarean birth so that you have that transition. I don't know if it's because it's hormonal or emotional and psychological, but they felt like something was missing. I did not see that same sentiment from people who had a cesarean with no labor and then had another cesarean, they didn't feel the same lacking, like something was significantly Mm -hmm. missing. It's only people had the the labor and then a cesarean, and then had a cesarean with no labor. But it was kind of eye-opening. It kind of makes you realize that there's a lot that goes on in the birth process um, behind the scenes that we're not even consciously aware of or sometimes not even medically aware of that uh, are part of the process, setting you up and the baby up for the birth itself and everything that happens postpartum.
0: Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you said that because I mean, you know, I had pretty heavy postpartum depression with Amelia and with Arlie, you know, thank God I'm two months out. And I like, it's wildly different. Like I of course still have moments of being stressed and overwhelmed and, you know, feeling little things, but it, I don't have anywhere near the feelings that I had with Amelia and the heaviness and the depression and the anxiety and all the things. And I really think that came from the fact that my cesarean was so unexpected. I had labored for so long. I had, you know, really thought in my mind things were going to go a certain way and then they didn't. And not only did they not go a certain way, but then I wound up in a major surgery that I didn't expect to wind up in. And then the recovery was so intense. It was just like so much. And I think that really added to my postpartum depression. And then fast forward to and it's like my birth still didn't go as planned, but it was much, much more. Of obviously what I wanted and I achieved my feedback and I agree with you there's something about that labor process in my mind personally that it's like there's just so much empowerment in it and so much of just like you're growing and you're learning and you're evolving while you're in this labor process and then for me then to push her out for me that was just like a next level of like holy crap you literally can do anything
1: yeah I believe it Even when I first met you, I believed you could do anything.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And you told me that when I was on your show. And I mean, and I'll obviously link that so people can listen to it. But I remember sitting with you and I literally, my mind was just blown when you were like, well, you don't have to have another cesarean. And I was like, what? Because I was so grateful you told me that because then when I did get pregnant shortly after with Arlie and I went to just a regular, you know, doctor that was on my provider list and I went to see them before I switched to Dr. Brock. And she, the first thing she said to me after she, you know, got my due date and everything was, okay, here's your paperwork. Let's pick a date for your cesarean. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want a cesarean. And she looked at me like I had 8 million heads And I said, I know that I, I I know what I'm saying is something that's not as common, but I know that you can have a VBAC or at least attempt to have a VBAC. And she said, oh, well, I don't do those and I'm not doing that. So if you're going to work with me, then you're going to put a due date on this paper and sign off that you're having a cesarean. And I was like, oh, I'm out of here. And that was it. I told Justin, I was like, after like two or three appointments, I was like, my prenatals are good. I did everything, you know, to make sure baby's good. Now I got to go find someone who will be supportive. And thank God because of you and so many of the birth community helped me find those different supportive providers to talk to. And I interviewed a few different doctors and Dr. Brock and I just meshed super well. And I'll never forget when I sat down in his office and said, hey, so I really want to be back. And I was like, you know, clenching my hands and like nervous and sitting there. And he looked at me and he goes, okay,
1: Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay. You know? And he's like, okay. And then his, you know, his nurse came in and she looked at me and she goes, hell, he just did two this morning. Like, it was like nothing, you know? And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. You know? And he was like, yeah, he's like, let's do it. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, it was like a breath of fresh air. I was like, "Ah, okay. You know? And he was super supportive. And like you said, I mean, even at the end, when you remember when um, I went in for my massage with you and he was like, listen, we're now getting close to 42 weeks. We're entering 41 weeks. I would rather, you know, induce you at this point. We still don't have to go to like full blown medication in the induction, but I would like to like move things along. And I told you, I had messaged you. He had scheduled me for an induction that, um, that like, I think it was like that Tuesday or Wednesday it was my eight year anniversary and he was like, well, 2 a.m. You'll come in and we'll do the whole thing. And I was like, okay. And I was super bitter about it. I was super upset. And he was like, it's fine. Like, you'll still get your back. It's fine. And I was just not feeling good about it. I met up with Stacy at the park. We did a bunch of rebozo and, you know, like bunch of safe outdoor, you know, um, comfort measures and everything, you know. And uh, I said to her, I just don't feel good about this. And she was, well, at the end of the day. Even though he's been super supportive like he's still a doctor and he still like wants to kind of move things along because you are at the end so you know that's what he's telling you but all your non-stress tests have been good all your fluids are fine like baby's fine so it's your call if you want to go forward with it or not and that was another moment of empowerment for me and like that advocacy like what you had said of like advocating for yourself because i didn't show up for the induction that night you know i called and i said hey i really don't feel comfortable I'm not going in. And I remember calling and feeling like I was literally like, you know, back when you're in school and you're in trouble with the teacher, they're like, oh, I did something I wasn't supposed to do. You know? Like, <laughs> you know, I was totally like, oh my gosh, I'm being in so much trouble. And then the next morning he called me and he was like, all right, I get it. You're not there yet. We had originally said 42 weeks, so I'll let you go the rest of this week. And then you know, whether you like it or not, we're gonna induce. And I was like, okay. And then Arlie literally came the night before we were gonna induce. You know, it was like wow. she the last minute. I mean, I remember I went to see you. We did my massage. I think it was like right around 41 weeks. Your birthday was like that day or right around there, and we were That's joking that right. she was gonna <laughs> come on your birthday. And then she still waited. And then yeah, it was literally that following weekend that that Saturday night, I went to labor and he had scheduled my induction for that Monday.
1: Yeah. You know what? Just reminded me, we have an episode of Dr. Brock on the, because the way you said it, it was like, okay, we'll do a VBAC. We have an episode on our podcast with him and a patient of ours where she did a, bre- a VBAC with a breech baby. So it was wow. a vaginal breech after cesarean. And, you know, he didn't take it like lightly. He really did a thorough analysis and he told her, look, these are the pros and cons, risks and benefits of a VBAC versus a uh, cesarean. And these are the pros and cons of delivering a breech baby vaginally versus a cesarean. He didn't feel like the risk factors uh, compounded each other, just that she should know the pros and cons of all the choices. And she's like, yeah, I want to do it. And she had a great birth experience. So you were easy, just a plain old VBAC. Uh, right. Know.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs>
1: and,
0: and, and I mean, obviously, when he sat down with me, like he was like, okay, well, obviously, you know, the main thing about a VBAC is uterine rupture. And he checked. You know my scar, and they kept checking. You know through obviously all my checkups and my scans and everything on the ultrasound to make sure everything looked like it was still you know very safe and everything was tight, nothing was stretching or whatever. You know, so of course he made sure that everything looked good and and was safe. But he you know he told me you know the one risk of course like everyone knows is uterine rupture, and he's like other than that you basically got to complete with Amelia. She didn't ascend to the birth. Now you know he went through with me like what happened with the first birth and you know, how are we going to do things differently? And I told him I was doing chiropractic. I told him I was doing little exercises, you know, all the things that I was working on, you know, and um, I remember it was funny though, when I went (laughs) at the end, I told him I went to see you for labor simulation massage. And then I went to see, um, I have baby brain. Uh, Who was it you sent me to for my um, uh, acupuncture? Um,
1: uh, Who at our office? no you, uh, you
0: gave me a recommendation in the valley what was her name Susan. yes thank you susan
1: Susan. Really? Yes.
0: yeah and she did my acupuncture you know for to help try to stimulate things i just remember going into dr brock and i was like well so i i saw you know dr berlin and we did a labor stimulation massage and i did my act you know and he just looked at me and laughed and goes does that make you feel good and i, was, <laughs> <laughs> and I said i'm trying to get her to come and he's like yeah 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 you know i was like it was he's totally supportive of the holistic but you could totally tell like he's obviously a very medical person he's, he's and it was just
1: really pure medical yeah. yeah open-minded but medical yes um, and it's two two other things so one is you know your first doctor was like no your only choice is cesarean and there's this sentiment once a cesarean always a cesarean and people are women are told that all the time like like as if that's the law. Like once you have a C-section, you must have another C-section. And what's really surprising is that term originally comes from a paper written by this guy, Dr. Edward Cregan, uh, in the early 1900s. And he was writing about... Con- conservatism in obstetrics. He was saying now that we can do cesareans safely, we still should be careful not to do them all the time unless they're totally necessary, because there are certain end results that can happen for these patients that are not desirable. And one of them, he wrote, is that once she has a cesarean, she may always have to have a cesarean. Now, since that time, we've really developed surgery a lot, anesthetics a lot, stitching a lot, the processes become even more safe and more predictable. And we even changed how we do the incisions so that feedbacks are a lot safer. But the whole point that he was making was don't do cesareans unless they're necessary, because you might deprive somebody of having the option to do a vaginal birth down the road. He was trying to get fewer cesareans done now that that phrase is touted around once a cesarean or c-section to try to convince women that they have no choice but to do a c-section if they've already had a cesarean birth. Um, he's probably rolling around in his grave every time somebody says that <laughs> in that context. But um, the other side of the coin is true as well, meaning there are so many different ways to give birth now in America especially, you could give birth at home with or without a midwife. In California, there are doctors who do home birth, um, probably other parts of the country as well. You could be at a birthing center, at a hospital, with drugs, without drugs, vaginal, cesarean. There's no wrong way to do it. The whole point that I'm trying to make is that you get the information on all the options, pros and cons, and you pick what's best for you. So uh, in your case, I'm advocating for you to be able to have a vaginal birth after cesarean if you want one, but in someone else's case, like we had recently, she was young, healthy, great candidate for for a, a really great vaginal birth, but uh, her mom had experienced uh, some complications in vaginal birth that left her with lifelong medical problems. And so psychologically, she was afraid to do a vaginal birth and her doctor really didn't want to give her the choice to do an elective C-section. And you know, I became her advocate on the other side. I was like, "Of course, you should have the option. Like, why shouldn't you?" And and I even had a chat with her doctor. I'm like, "Well, what if something does go wrong and then she's scarred for life?" And she had pushed for a cesarean, and you made her have a vaginal birth. So, you know, things are such in America that it's a free country, and within the within the realm of healthcare informed consent's really important. We should really present you with all the options that you have in front of you. We should talk to you as unbiasedly as possible about the pros and cons of each choice, let you do your own research, and then make a decision together and support ultimately what choice you make as long as it's within the realm of relative risk and, and safety for you and, and your baby.
0: Yeah, and I, again, that unbiased information, you're right. Everything's skewed nowadays. Everything is just all about you know, it's this way or it's that way. It's like, no, just tell me, give me the information and let me help digest it and then figure out what I want to do along with having you help me decide what I want to do. And that's where I think that's the true disconnect between the medical and the holistic community. And I hope one day they can come together (laughs)
1: it's happening it's happening there are elements where it's happening and um you sharing your powerful story um i think helps that along really gives a lot of people information and hope that they didn't have before
0: yeah all that you know that's the hope right and that's what your podcast is all about important is. i mean all different people's pregnancy stories i mean i've listened i think to like almost every single one now whereas like every story is just amazing how different their births are whether they're home they're at the hospital they're at a birth center like just all the different stories all the things that happen obviously no birth is the same and you just kind of have to have the information and then go you know go through the wildness and and then see what happens right
1: exactly you kind of make a a loose plan and and when the day happens, you aim for that plan. But I always say it's sort of like trying to steer a hot air balloon. It's not uh, precision steering. If there's a gust of wind this way or that <laughs> way, it's, it's going to take you on a slightly different course to your same destination. So it's good to be a little bit open-minded and surrender-minded as well.
0: Yeah, and surrender-minded, thank you for saying that, because I also, I think, had to be checked the surrendering when it came to the end there. With Arlie, like you said, loose plan, I felt like I was better about a loose plan, whereas with Amelia, I was very married to my plan. And with Arlie, I kind of let things go, like, okay, on the birth, you know, plan strategy, I didn't want my water broken, but I let Dr. Brooke do it because he said it was the right thing to do, you know, and kind of let certain things roll. And then at the end, having the epidural, you know, and the things I didn't want and being like, okay, I'll just surrender to it. And I think even at the end there, like just being like, okay, I'm just going to surrender into the process is probably why I was able to push her out. And I think that that's a really good point that you just made because obviously all of us plan and plan and plan, but the end of it, birth and really motherhood are about that surrender. I mean, parenthood too. I mean, all of it is about that surrender, giving into all of it and kind of immersing yourself and and learning and all of it and evolving through it. Very well said. Well, Dr. Berlin, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And thank you again for truly being like the first person in my corner and, you know, in, in my birth community to turn to me and say, you can have a back because I just think that there was so much magic and power there. And just, I can't thank you enough. I really, truly believe, you know, that, that. We met for a reason, and we aligned. And I was on your show, and it was so much fun. But I think it was really for you to give me that gift to know that I could have a V back. And I'm I'm just so grateful that I I did. And you know I I feel so good about the way things went for me, even though it was still not exactly what I planned. Um, I was able to achieve my V back, and I don't know. There's just it's crazy how I I think back to it and I still like get worked up because I'm like, I still can't believe it happened. I just want other moms to know that want it to happen or think they might want it to happen, that it is a possibility.
1: Yeah. I'm uh, personally, I'm just so excited that you you had the experience you had and that you're happy with it. And um, I'm, you know, honored. I was honored to meet you and to be able to play a small part in your big journey. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. And tell everyone where we can find you, follow you. And of course, uh, tell us on your podcast.
1: Okay. On uh, social media, it's Dr. Berlin spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. On Twitter and Instagram, and then uh, our website is drberlin.com, spelled the same way. The podcast is the Informed Pregnancy Podcast, and uh, it's just a weekly podcast. We have guests that are either experts talking about a specific topic or um, people sharing their pregnancy and birth stories uh, and a bunch of celebrity interviews, and uh, the idea, again, is just to make pregnancy And uh, childbirth a little bit more comfortable, less scary, and uh, so that you know your options and make informed choices.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being on. And cheers. Till next time, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.